Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're in the doghouse, and we talk Mississippi State sports here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back to this midweek edition of the Doghouse, uh, Wednesday evening recording. This is your host, David Murray, and a lot to go over with. Um, some good, some uh, not so good, and frankly, the good is still pending because it's going to be an interview with basketball coach Chris Jans that we had earlier this week. Mississippi State basketball practices began, of course, on the 27th. They've had a few closed practices, one semi-open session over the weekend to coincide with football game day. And now they're back behind closed doors in the practice facilities. Remember, Humphrey Coliseum is still not usable by the team. Now, every indication we've had from the administration is that, yes, yes, the Coliseum will be ready in time for November's opening games. But there's definitely a sense of tension about can they get everything totally, completely, utterly done before state tips off the men's and women's season. Well, It'll be playable. Maybe not all the details we finished, but this has been a long project, a well-needed project, and it looks like the completion, whether exactly on time or not, is going to be satisfactory to just about everybody involved. Uh, It won't satisfy those who wanted an entirely new basketball arena, but that wasn't ever going to happen because, as we have explained many times on Gene's page and others have told as well, to tear down Humphrey Coliseum built in the 70s and built with 1970s type engineering and architecture, uh, i.e. enough concrete to build a fair-sized dam out of, to tear that down would cost just about as much as to build a brand new, so basically double the entire price of building a new arena. Well, Humphrey Coliseum's bones are still strong enough it's going to serve very well, and come on, be honest. As much as you may want the hump to be completely new for all sorts of uh, image reasons or whatever, there ain't no bad seats there. One thing they got right when this place was built in its current fashion, and then all the updates and seating and lighting since then, there are no bad viewing angles. Even when we moved press row up into one of the corners there, still have a great view of the action. No complaints about leaving courtside. Yeah, as convenient as it was for us. At least now I don't have to worry about a stray ball tearing into my laptop the way many times I had it hit my camera, even rip off the flash drive one time. Hey, the woes of being a sideline photographer back where many a night I sat there and prayed some big seven-footer from LSU named O'Neill wouldn't fall on me. Oh, the reminiscences. Well, Humphrey Coliseum has a lot to reminisce about, but it's going to be all brand new inside. Uh... I think they'll still be using the same scoreboard, so you probably see some old logos that are gradually being phased out. But those are just minor details. Get ready for a really thoroughly renovated arena with good viewing but much better amenities. We'll talk more about the hump as we get closer to the season. Right now, of course, uh, Jans and Sam Purcell's teams are practicing in the Mize Pavilion. Practice is going well. Of course, some bad news at a basketball practice that Sean Murphy, who has had trouble staying healthy much of his career, will not be able to play until December at the earliest, and that's still a little bit hopeful. That was the first big news to come out of camp, but uh, otherwise everything's been trending positive for the Bulldogs since they've come back from their Portuguese tour. Remember, they also got some practices in before they did that, so it comes off your total in preseason, thus the relatively late start. Well, we're going to tag on Chris, I'm sorry, Chris, Chris Jans, um, it's got the video segment on it as well, but I don't think that's going to come across a podcast too well, so hopefully the audio takes care of that message and you can read that. But before it, 
We'll have our interviews as well this week, our weekly talks with the football coordinators. Um, again, it will be Kevin Barbe first and Matt Brock second, offense, then defense. So what about the Bulldogs? Three-game SEC losing streak, um, and that's really kind of summing things up, three-game SEC losing streak. Now, yes, in our preseason predictions, we thought they'd lose to LSU and Alabama, but we really believed they would beat South Carolina and honestly, having been there at the game, they should have beaten South Carolina. It didn't happen, so now the dogs are trying to recover their momentum, whatever it was. They've got to regain their footing and probably to some degree regain their confidence as well at the expense of a Western Michigan club coming in. Uh, Coach Zach Arnett went to great pains to remind that this is a potentially dangerous team as far as being able to score on you because, as you said, they scored first on both of the Power 5 teams they played, which happened to be Syracuse and Iowa. Uh, they didn't score last, and they didn't score often. I think the final scores were a combined 94-17 to 17 in those two losses. Point being, and this was his big con- topic today on the SEC teleconference, the state has gotten off to such slow starts in all three of their SEC games. So, what was it? Um, the closest was what seven, no, fourteen, nothing South Carolina. I think it was three nothing LSU. But they were about to score as the second quarter went into effect, and State just fell what behind twenty four nothing before they ever got on the board in that game. Of course, they caught up with South Carolina, but never could surpass them. And Alabama had control. Uh, closest it came, 17-10 this past weekend. State has an opportunity with the ball back to go in at least within a touchdown. But in retrospect, Coach Arnett, after the game and this week, says it probably should have taken a knee. However, I'm going to argue with that. Not that it was a wrong call to do so, but honestly, and I said so on radio this week as well, in today's college football, if you've got an opportunity to score, go score. State had a timeout left, had a minute three. And remember, at South Carolina, they drove in basically 30 seconds to get a field goal before halftime. So why not give it a try there? Alabama, a much better defensive team, especially in the secondary, as the game result showed. But I do not fault Mississippi State for being aggressive in that situation. I think you have to be aggressive. And I believe Arnett has come around to that thinking, too, because, as he says, State needs to come out and punch first that wasn't his exact words. That's what we media and fans like to use. What he said was need to come out, score first, but also not let the other team score first to have the ball, which is another way of saying it's not just the offense that's coming up short in first quarters. The defensive team, which has just been at times seemingly helpless to get anything done against either type of offense they played. Alabama, they did a better job controlling for a while until Jalen Milrow just decided to take it on his own feet and take off running, and from there you saw things degrade. Uh, They had a chance to keep it 17-10 before halftime. If they make a third and sixth stop on the Alabama side of the field, can't quite do it, and then this cumulative wear and tear and the lack of defensive linemen that forced them to go with a 2-4 lineup, two down linemen, one of them not even down half the time, standing up as a linebacker for all intents and purposes. Yes, I guess you call it a 1-5 set there. But when that's all the personnel you've got to work with, that's how you have to use them. Anyway, they did wear down. Alabama scored. State turned the ball over. And that was the ball game before halftime. The rest of it was just how would the Bulldogs handle it? Would they come out and at least play with some competitive fire? Well, they did. Scored on the opening drive of the third quarter. 
looked really efficient doing it, running and passing. And that's the takeaway from the game, that if the offense can perform like that while the other team still is regarding it as a competition, still has their first defense on the field, it showed that this offense can click. But as Arnett said today, yes, everybody wants to ask about Will Rogers and what to degree the offense struggles can be laid at his feet. He says, well, and he did come out and say that when there are receivers open, you've got to see them and find them. Now, there weren't many open against Alabama, but there sure as heck were against South Carolina, and there were against LSU as well, despite superior athleticism on the Tigers' side. So it's a matter of identifying them and getting the ball out quickly, not air raid quickly for the four- and five-yard route. I mean quickly for the 10, 20, 25-yard routes, which these receivers now at State has gone to using the combination of Xavier Thomas at split in, to Lou Griffin at slot, mixing in Creed Whitmore, who's truly a slot receiver, but is having to play uh, more of a versatile role in there because you want your most explosive playmakers in the field. Justin Robinson missed the Alabama game. Would it have made a difference? No. Alabama was dialed in that night, was going to win. But you needed him back. Now, did they use him this weekend? I would hope not. Uh, maybe knock a little rust off from missing a game, but otherwise you hope that you can use this weekend to give him a rest as well. But that's the combination you're using, of course, with Antonio Harmon as your receiving tight end. And by the way, you'll want to go to Gene's page and look at the uh, rather short interview with Coach Mike Schmidt from yesterday that I provided. And he comes right out in the first segment, and not that we even ask about it, but um, the implication as I came later with, and he didn't really amplify on it, but it was there. Basically, depending on what tight end or end State has in the game, the opponent knows what's happening. If Ryland Godet or Malik Ellis are in, State's going to run. If Antonio Harmon's in, State's probably going to pass. Well, they're trying to mix it up now, getting more uh, pass blocking, uh, run blocking out of Harmon, and he is improving that guard to hopefully keep defenses guessing a little bit more. But thank you very much, NCAA, for aborting what was going to be an aspect of this offense with Jaquarius Spivey in the mix. Ain't happening. It's over and done with. So you make do with what you have and you move on. But he did make it sound like they're really going to try to get the ball to Gaudet more. And if Malik Ellis ends up catching a pass, and hey, why not? And the, the offensive lineman has been a wonder as a tight end so far before he plays his true position starting next year. Hey, let's see if he can catch a ball down there and uh, turn and do something with it because wouldn't you hate to be the safety matched up on a guy 265 pounds with that frame and that kind of muscle? Well, we can fantasize something like that happens this weekend. Don't really want to go hashing too much into the losses there, particularly Alabama. Y'all saw it, and you've seen more than enough reviews on it. I don't need to go into any details of how and why it happened beyond the fact that State did run the ball better than I really anticipated they would against Alabama, did not throw the ball well because, like I said, Alabama's strength is in its secondary, and they certainly showed it being able to leave somebody in the middle of the field to roam around if State was looking to throw in that general direction, he covered. If State started to go outside by the time they located and fired, he was over there covering as well. So it was an uphill battle for state's offense because they just don't have the horsepower right now to create against that type of athleticism. And especially as long as you don't have a particularly mobile quarterback. Although, look at those two runs, and maybe Will Rogers got something out of the keepers, what, 12 yards the first time, then 15 yards another time. If he takes that first quick step away from pressure and it's open, 
take the yardage and don't risk a throw into coverage. And maybe that lesson can really be applied because some of the defenses State's going to play the rest of the way would be particularly vulnerable to that type of game. It would be more vulnerable to a truly two-dimensional quarterback. That's not going to happen until next year. But, and that leads into our real topic for this weekend with Western Michigan from our fan standpoint. How many dogs take the day off or at least get very brief assignments and then not only who gets more snaps from the backup groups, maybe even some of the uh, guys who are being redshirted have not played so far. Seven true freshmen have already burned their red shirt this year, but we knew that was going to happen after the first couple of games. So the other guys still have the um, three, some of them even the four full games to play. Do we see them this weekend? I.e., one in particular, young Mr. Chris Parson. He is capable of playing the game. He's certainly been doing a good job running the scout teams for state. So what's to keep him from getting in the game? Well, for one thing, you want to give Mike Wright a reward with more snaps as well, and this is certainly a type of team that he can have some good results against. So it's going to be curious there. In fact, that may be the main interest coming out of the game if it proceeds as it should. We all remember some close calls in the past to opponents like this and even the outright embarrassment of Troy and South Alabama in previous years. Well, at least this team is not from Alabama. Maybe that's a starting point. They're from the MAC and up in, obviously, Michigan. So State, I think, what, they've beaten Bowling Green a couple of times and maybe one more, oh, yeah, Miami of Ohio in the bowl game in 16. 3-0 against the Mac. so here comes another Mac team. See if they can get a little Maction done on Scott Field starting at 11 o'clock Saturday. And, by the way, again this morning, Coach Arnett on the SEC teleconference, no less, reminded that the fans did a great job creating atmosphere for the Alabama game, and you did. As I commented on Steve and I's post-game video, y'all were great. Yes, there were a fair sprinkling, more so, of Alabama fans in the crowd, but 60,000 showing up for an 8 o'clock game that you probably knew was going to turn out one way, and indeed did, but you were loud, and you were proud, and you stayed well into the third quarter, and you made it a game evening on Scott Field, as it should be. Do we expect 60,000 this weekend? No, not least because it is a morning kickoff and it is a minor opponent. But those who come, just have fun. Let it loose. Let it rip. Cheer the guys who do play. Cheer the guys who are held out. Uh, you'd expect to see some of the defensive linemen still gimpy, um, being not dressed at all. Uh, our question marks would be, does Jaquavius Marks, he will probably dress out, I would think, but does he play at all? Well, I've got a story written just in case he doesn't when we get word about it, but we may not get word until the team lines up for warmups and you see if number seven on offense is even out there at this point. State's got more than enough running backs to take care of this, and uh, you want Woody, who's been a warrior all season to rest that ankle and get ready for SEC contest at Alabama, I'm sorry, at Arkansas and Auburn. Because you got the open date to heal up there. Uh, some other guys who could probably use a little bit of break there. Um, of course, Jaden Wally has not played in three games. Uh, he started in his last outing, that was the Arizona game, has not played since, got a little dinged up. Um, you're wondering at this point, is he going to redshirt? That could be a valuable addition for next year as the offense truly figures out what it is 
once you get into a different type quarterback, different type running backs, see what linemen can return. That's another story I've asked media relations about, the COVID year status of several offensive linemen and what they may be doing. There are still good reasons to come out of this game, not least, as I often say in our videos post-game, and Steve has taken up the same theme as well for me, you only get so many games a year, or I would phrase it, you're only getting so many games in a lifetime. Don't pass up the chance to be part of the action, especially when Mississippi State is playing on Scott Field. All right, not much coherence in what we've said so far, but, uh, oh, yes, uh, we did talk today. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the um, main thrust with our Zach Arnett SEC teleconference was about the need to start fast on offense, start strong on defense, and set the tone the rest of the way. Uh, Justin Frommer would be talking about the injuries, the um, rehab process, the recovery process, what can be done at this point of the season to help guys get ready faster. And as Arnett made clear, said any player who's got a little bit of extra time, get in the training room and get more treatment than is absolutely necessary. Just stay at it. Okay, let's see. Well, that's um, getting to 17 minutes. All right, let's let you hear now from coordinator Kevin Barbet first, uh, coordinator Matt Brock second, and if we actually get this right, our video with Chris Jans, we're going to try to tag that on at the end as well. So that's our edition of the Doghouse for this midweek. And um, at this point of the season with basketball also getting underway, we may be breaking out of the usual schedule of a midweek doghouse and providing more than one or two a week because uh, it looks like there's going to be some newsy situations developing as things go on, uh, not least as we get closer to January when Zach Selman has said they're going to make some announcements about long-term planning for Mississippi State facilities, i.e., what are you going to do with Scott Field? Uh, primarily, and we'll keep updating you on the status of Humphrey Coliseum. And at some point, we're going to have to address what's going on in fall baseball. Mike Nemeth is doing a great job covering that for us as well. But for now, let's check out what these Mississippi State coaches have to say. This has been your host, David Murray. This is The Doghouse. If you like what you're hearing on the Believe Podcast Network, give us a like on Apple Podcasts. Long time no see. You all right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, let's talk, kind of go about last week. I mean, obviously, running game was a little bit better last week. I mean, what do you kind of attribute that to? And Cole was just telling us he felt like the game plan was really good last week. So how do you kind of keep that rolling this week? Yeah, um, you know, I thought there were there was you know some good things that we did against Alabama, and uh, being able to run the football like we did uh, was was something that was, I think, building confidence in our guys. Right? Obviously, there's always things that we got to clean up. Um, you know. Uh, Coach Friend, Coach Schmidt, uh, Coach Hughes, um, uh, Coach you know Knox is, is our quality control helping out in in the run game stuff. I mean, the guys do a great job of uh, really uh, you know putting the game plan together all together. You know, and uh, so there were some things that we were pleased with. Um, you know, but obviously, right, we we got to get better. We we'll obviously struggled a little bit with the interceptions and everything. Had the big game against South Carolina. What did you see in, in the Alabama game that really caused them to struggle? Yeah, um, you know, uh, crucial mistake right in the uh, the two-minute end of the half uh, turnover there. Um, you know, and, and learning from those situations and making sure that we're not making those same mistakes twice and really understanding the flow of the game uh, there, you know. And, and then um, on the other, you know, the other interception that we had, um, you know, there was – 
miscommunication, right, on a little bit of a protection breakdown. But um, at the end of the day, you know, Will is, is very conscious of knowing that we've got to protect the football. And, um, you know, you, you can't win games like that turning the football over. Um, you know, we've got to uh, continue to stress uh, ball security and, um, you know, and, and put our guys in, in those situations where, you know, they, they can protect the football and they've got nice, clean throws. You mentioned the, the interception there right before the half. You know, looking back on that, is, there a situa- is that a situation where moving forward you would feel comfortable, you know, trying to have the foot on the pedal again? Or do you think that would be somewhere where maybe you go a bit more conservative? Yeah, you know, uh, there was like a minute three left um, and we had used our timeouts to try to get us an opportunity. And I think in games like that, you know, you got to be as aggressive as you can. And so, um, you know, sure, can you look back and go, well, we, we could have ran the ball there and, and then, you know, gone to halftime. Uh, you know, that wasn't the type of game that we needed to play uh, to beat Alabama. We needed to be aggressive. So, you know, I'd do it again. Um, and, you know, uh, hopefully uh, we wouldn't turn the ball over again. What are you seeing right now out of this offensive line? It seems it's been, uh, obviously, they've a lot of returning guys, but it's a, a new system for them. So have you seen uh, some, some of them come al- coming along at this point? I do. That's, that's a good question. I, I see us gaining confidence. I really do. Um, you know, we had the South Carolina week where uh, these guys were really good in protection and our play action stuff and giving us plenty of time, pushing the ball downfield, not only in play action, but in six man protection. And then, you know, this week run game wise, you know, I felt like they had a, a confidence level that they can run the football on anybody. So now what we've got to be able to do is make sure that we combine those. Right. And, and we get our passing game and our run game all meshed up together where we're all clicking as you know, one full, diverse, multiple unit. Speaking of combining things, you're using a good bit of four wides at times, then you come in with a true tight end, Antonio tight end. You're just kind of using all sorts of receiver combinations out there, calling on air raid stuff and then classic run game stuff. Is that just more confidence team can do these things as the season goes on? Yeah, you know, it's really about uh, the, the personnel that you got mm-hmm. and the schemes that we're trying to get executed. And, you know, you, you might go into a 10 personnel group because this guy's a little bit better route runner or you might be in 11 personnel because, you know, this guy's a better blocker on the perimeter. Um, now, the, the key is you got to make sure that you're mixing enough of that and quality controlling yourself so that uh, defensive guys, you know, don't know every time you put this guy in, you're throwing or running. Um, but we, we are. We're trying to incorporate, you know, Creed as much as we can in some of the 10 personnel stuff. And then, uh, you know, Harmon's done a good job and has uh, created some plays, uh, you know, not only as a, as a tight end, but, you know, as a receiver catching the ball uh, in the flat. So, you know, for us, it's really about, you know, what we have available that week and what gives us, you know, the, uh, the best chance to, you know, just move the ball forward. We, we talked last week about Woody and, and some no injury aspects in another instance on, on Saturday. How is that, I guess, now that it's becoming a bit of a trend, I guess, affect you as a play caller, maybe changing things up to, to help him be healthy throughout the rest of the year? Yeah. You know, Woody is a really important piece uh, to this offense. And, you know, like we talked about last week, I mean, Woody's the toughest dude that I know. Um, you know, with that being said, you know, I also I thought Pitt, you know, played really well against Alabama. And, uh, you know, it, it just it gives – I've got confidence in all of our guys. And, you know, it gives guys other opportunities. Um, but, you know, Woody, he, he's going to be he's, – he's a tough kid, man. He's going to battle and he'll be there. Um, but, you know, we do. We, we've got seven games uh, in the regular season remaining. And uh, we've got to make sure that, that Woody is an important piece of that. You mentioned Pitt kind of coming along there. You know, obviously it's a little bit of transition for him coming from junior college, but where have you seen him progress just throughout the first, you know, the few weeks of the season? 
Yeah, I, I thought um, he's progressed, you know, tremendously from spring ball on. Um, you know, and it's it's a lot of offense, and there's a lot of different schemes. But um, you know, Pitt is a guy that man, uh, he's a gamer. You know, and when he gets his opportunity on Saturday nights, he makes uh, he makes plays, and uh, you know, it, it's never too big for him. The, the JUCO to SEC transition that matters none uh, to Pitt. Right, he is a uh, hey. If you give him an opportunity and give him the ball, uh, been really pleased with the success that he's had. You mentioned the seven games left. Is there any thought now, given how the season's going, that maybe you can find some time for some of the true freshmen to get their four games in, or less like that, and some guys that maybe need snaps before you see them in spring ball? Yeah, you know, uh, that, that's a great question too. Those conversations are ongoing, and you know, uh, hopefully we're in a situation where some young guys are, are able to uh, play and, and get some valuable snaps in. Will was talking about you know the way he's been able to to bounce ideas off Mike Wright and kind of talk to him on the sidelines. How have you seen Mike kind of embrace uh, his role so far and and kind of you know the patience he has? Obviously, he's a guy you know, that probably like to see the field a bit more as well. Yeah, you know uh, those two they've got a great relationship and they're very supportive. And I think it's really important when guys have been in that starting role and they understand the support that you need from you know uh, the others in the room. Um, you know, Mike, obviously, he's, he's had some great success uh, in the opportunities that he's had. And, you know, we'll continue to grow his package as well. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Well, with the, you know, with the bodies available, what you have, you're just kind of putting things together out there. Were you satisfied in general with how the 2-4 system worked when you had to use it and then mixing and matching after that? I don't know if you're ever satisfied you come away and lose a game like that. I mean, but uh, obviously one thing I'll, I'll give our guys credit is I thought they went in there and they battled. Um, but, no, I mean, are we satisfied? No, we're not satisfied by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the results aren't what we want no matter who we put on the field. I would ask Coach Arnett about this this uh, afternoon. You kind of at the midway point of the season, and you got some injuries up front, and, and you know some guys you're not getting back. How difficult is that decision? I noticed Caleb and, and Gabe dressed out Saturday. How difficult is that decision to do we redshirt them? Do we not? I mean, kind of get to that point. How, how tough is that call? Yeah, I think there's there's always those ongoing conversations. I think right now we're trying to find value in anybody we can that we feel like can physically do it. Number one, and then mentally has the mental toughness to go in there and battle. Um, I mean, to me, Don Terry Russell is a great example of that. He goes out there and he does things that you look at him at 215, 220 pounds, you know, and we asked him to do some things and he, he held up pretty well, you know. And so it's just finding guys like that, what, what value can they bring and then putting them in the best possible situation. What have you thought of the way Don Terry's kind of approached the, the time he's been at State and, and finally kind of took advantage of that opportunity he had on Saturday? I think he's grown. You know, I think he's grown. I think it's been an up-and-down process for him. But hopefully what he did there the other night, uh, you know, I know we gained confidence in him. Hopefully he continually gains confidence in himself and how he prepares and doing the things right on a consistent basis so that he can go out there and make more plays like he did the other night. Is it easy to use him kind of as an example for some of those younger guys that, you know, eventually their opportunity will come? I think it's a. I think it's pretty, pretty easy for those guys to see it. You know, on the field, he gets an opportunity, he goes out, he makes plays. All of a sudden, he shows flashes that he can go get the job done and execute uh, on a big stage. And obviously, if you do that, you're going to get more playing time. And so, to me, that's just a perfect example of, of uh, utilizing your opportunity. How did you grade John Lewis for his play the other night? He did well. I mean, those are things. The thing about John is John's going to play extremely hard. John's always going to play hard. 
John's got to make sure he's going the right direction all the time, you know. But uh, but that, again, finding value in what John Lewis does is you know what you're going to get from an effort standpoint every single time. And now it's just cleaning up the fundamentals and the other things that uh, you have to do to make yourself successful. Last three weeks, incompletions have kind of been hard to come by. When you break down the film, what are you seeing in coverage that's enabling these teams to be this successful? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a valid question. I think there's there's different breakdowns. Sometimes it's a, a guy not making a play on a ball. Sometimes it's a schematic breakdown. Uh, sometimes it's passers not getting there. I mean, it's all three levels to me, uh, as well as coaching, obviously, too. So we've got to look at, all right, how are we getting attacked? How can we adjust uh, the coverages we play to better suit what people are doing to us? When you uh, asked Jed about this, too, you put those four linebackers on the field. How important is it, or how much of a communication role is increased with Buki and Jed? I think we put a lot on those guys anyways in communication. I don't know that it was a huge difference, to be quite honest with you. Uh, those guys are, you know, they've been around forever. They understand the system on the front and the, the second and third levels. And so it really was just a continuation on what we already asked them to do. Watching Nathan this year, it just seems like he just raised his game this whole season playing there at the, at the nose position. Yeah, I would agree with that. And he needs to continue for us to be successful because of what you, well, the previous question, you know. Uh, but, no, he's definitely played tougher. He's played more physical inside, and we need to continue to, to have that from him. Just the way he carries himself, the confidence level, you can tell there's a difference. Was was there a point late last season you kind of started to see that, or was it more this all season and, and that area where you started to see a change? Shaq definitely had a couple better games, like you mentioned, down the stretch, but he's made the biggest strides in the summer. Of all our players, he had the best summer of all of them, um, just from the vibe he had every day, and even statistically, um, you know, for plus minus and just overall efficiency, uh, he was by far um, our best player over the eight weeks of summer. And then in the fall, uh, he dipped a little bit and had a nice little sit down, and he's back to, to where he was. Um, he rarely misses or excuse me loses a sprint in practice i mean um to me you know that's a really good sign for someone that's committed and competing all the time and um you know it's a benchmark for for our whole team of where he's at and how he's you know running um in that regard so we're excited uh for him and hopefully he'll continue go to danny p to coach his right coach uh, just talk about that was a Maroon Band is going to Columbus with the military folks over there, and then you've got a game scheduled for Tupelo, you're going down to Southern Miss for the charity event down there, and you've been to Jackson. Just just all about exposing your team to different areas of the state and uh, what that means to you and what you position for the fan base. Yeah, first of all, excited about Maroon Madness. It's uh, you know around the corner at the end of the week. It will be a unique experience, I think, for all of us. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, and it'll be the first time for me personally to you know, be on a military base for a basketball function. And, you know, there's other programs that have played games in these type of settings, but I've never been a part of it. So on a personal level, I'm looking forward to, you know, being a small part in the experience that we're having. And what an awesome way for, for our program in, in our university to, you know, thank um, the military for, you know, what they do for us on a daily basis. and. I know there'll be some people that are disappointed that it's not open to 
um, the public, but there's so many people over there um, that we had to, you know, make that decision to uh, just for, for crowd control and, and etc. So um, I think it will be a really cool event, and we're excited to do it. And like you mentioned, uh, we're trying to find ways to, you know, um, play in different areas of the state. You know, we've been in Jackson. We're going to go to Tupelo, like you mentioned. We're going to play a road game at Southern Miss in Hattiesburg. Uh, we're doing the thing over in Columbus this Friday, and certainly that's um, something as a staff that we're trying to do to just make it easier for some people to you know watch the Bulldogs play and hopefully attract new fans along the way. But Jack, that's right. Last season, outside of Rams and Shaq, there weren't a whole lot of options to run a point guard, but you bring in Josh Hubbard, you bring in Andrew Taylor. Obviously, it's a long way to go before you start figuring out your rotations and stuff, but do you feel like that added competition is going to to make that decision tougher? I hope so. Um, you know, I like when we have tough decisions to make on who we're playing. That means we have depth, and everybody does it a little bit different. For, for me, uh, I cherish when I have teams that have competition, you know, all the way down the roster. I just think it it breeds success. You know, nobody can relax. They know that people are scratching at their heels, and it just makes for a more competitive practice on most days. And and then you're set up for, you know, an injury, a foul issue, whatever is going to happen in that particular game or season. And ultimately, it's always going to. So I just prefer it. And definitely, we've uh, increased the competition uh, out front and in other places along the roster. And the good thing is, is, you know, basketball increasingly has become more positionless. And so, you know, playing two guards together that primarily are point guards is not very uncommon anymore. It's like, you know, signing a bunch of shortstops and farming them out. And that's kind of how we feel about point guards as well as, you know, that's a hard position to play. And if they have the size and the toughness to move over, you know, and guard bigger guys, then, you know, it makes us even better. But we definitely have increased the competition and uh, looking forward to the next few weeks to see how it um, you know, kind of comes out. Questions for Coach, we'll the microphone to you. Raise your hand. We'll go back to Paul here in the front. Now that the schedule's out, just your overall general thoughts about it. I'm excited for it. I think it's more challenging than last season's. We felt like we had a chance to be a good basketball team. And at the end of the day, you know, you got to try it as best you can. It's a lot of guesswork um, to put your team in position to have opportunities to have quad one, quad two games. That's what our research says is that's what moves the needle more than anything else. And so you've got to be creative in, in trying to find ways to um, create those quad opportunities. If it's being, you know, playing someone on a neutral floor rather than at home, which I know, you know, hurts a little bit with the fan base wanting more quality home games. And you've heard this from most coaches across the country. It's just really hard to do that. Uh, at times, scheduling is very difficult and it's tedious. And for whatever reason, it's hard to get teams to, to agree to pair up and, and play. Um, but I do believe that at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have uh, a number of great opportunities in the fall to uh, hopefully, you know, get some wins that will you know, look good in, in March if we're in that conversation. Any questions for Coach? Anything else before we let him go? We'll go back to Danny P. and then Paul. I was just curious about Tolo and how he's come into the preseason, kind of approaching things as obviously the, the leader of this group. And just do you see a, maybe a sense of, uh, I don't see urgency is not a good word, but just maybe a uh, purpose. 
You know, he's such a hard worker. Uh, it's not as if because it's his last go around, he's, you know, up the ante for his work ethic because it's always been there. I mean, even talking to coaches that had coached him prior to me, that was the first thing that came out of their mouths is his work ethic and his love of the game and his dedication. And um, he's in there to the point where, you know, if we're walking by, we're like, man, you gotta get home, you gotta get off your feet. You know, we're gonna have plenty of practice opportunities, but he's a very dedicated, uh, you know, student athlete. And um, we've had a couple conversations just in passing, you know, like prior practice or after practice, like the other day when we started official practice, you know, I said to him, you know, this is your, your last, you know, first day of, of basketball. And, you know, he had this, like he was, he was excited about it at the same time, you know, he didn't love hearing it as well. And he's one of those type of guys that I believe will give it his best effort. Uh, hopefully he'll have one of the better seasons he's ever had, but I know for sure it won't be, uh, you know, anything that doesn't go well won't be for lack of dedication and want to. And uh, he's just a wonderful kid. And uh, like you said, he's a leader of our team. And um, he doesn't always do it as vocally as maybe we'd like to do it, but he definitely does it by example. If you can, any timetable uh, updated on Keyshawn and Rams and, and as far as obviously Rams about your practice, but what kind of return you expect them to have? Yeah, you know, when someone uh, gets injured or has a surgery, you know, we get a daily update from trainers and doctors and, you know, Rams is in a position now where he's, you know, in his practice uniform and he's doing some things on the court, uh, one on zero outside of basketball practice. And then he's starting to get into some of our non-contact portions of practice. I anticipate him being back on the floor sooner than later in terms of physical contact and full practice. And then Keyshawn still has a long way to go. Um, you know, we don't expect him to be back until uh, Christmas time. You know, we're, we're hopeful that, you know, his recovery and rehab goes well and it has thus far. So there could be a possible for an earlier routine return but in the end you know I just I don't rush them certainly uh, you know they come back on their own terms and we want them to be really confident you know in, in their bodies and their shape and, and their injured part of their body to, to get out on that court and, and compete so um, that's kind of where both those guys are at anything else for coach before we let him go all right thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.